0: Book of Daniel, chapter number five. Brother Spite, so good to see you. God bless you, my friend. And I hope I get the chance to spend some time with you today, if possible. God bless you. Didn't they do awesome? Man, I love that. That's great. (laughs) Amen. Daniel, chapter number five, verses one through six. And then the book of Revelation, chapter 14, and verse number eight. If you found it, say, Praise the Lord. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Everybody say, he drank wine. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine. Everybody say, he tasted the wine. Now, he's drank and tasted wine. Now, look what he does. While he tasted the wine, he commanded... To bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was at Jerusalem. That the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem. And the king, his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. They had a party in Babylon, didn't they? Revelation chapter number 14, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon made all nations drink of the wine. I'm going to preach this morning something I feel like the Lord has directed me to, to bring to you today, and that is this message, don't drink Babylon's wine don't look at somebody and tell them don't drink babylon's wine lord i ask you to anoint me to preach anoint our ears to hear confirm your word with signs following let the anointing of the holy ghost be manifested in this place oh god i pray lord that you would draw souls to you by the anointing of the holy ghost god i pray for a demonstration of your spirit and power I ask you, Lord Jesus, to destroy yokes in people's lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a good hand clap as you're being seated tonight. (laughs) Amen. I am thankful today for the privilege of worshiping God. I'm thankful that I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God, unto salvation. Amen. I'm glad I've been born again. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I obeyed the Acts chapter number 2 message. The Gospels talk about the birth and the life and the death of Christ. The epistles were written to churches about how to live as Christians in the world. The book of Revelation is the story of the end of time and what will happen as we near the end of the age. But only the book of Acts tells us how to be born again. On the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching and in Acts 2.37, conviction touched the people that heard the message and the Bible said when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Tell us what we have to do. Aren't you glad that you asked that question one day? God, what do I have to do to be born again? What do I have to do to be saved? And aren't you glad somebody gave you the exact same answer that Simon Peter gave in Acts 2.38? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the faith that was once delivered, and that's still the gospel message that sets captives free, that changes lives, that pulls people out of addiction, that pulls them out of sin. That's still the saving power of the gospel preached. I'd like to see somebody baptized in Jesus' name today. Oh, yes, I would. I'm thankful that God dwells within his church. Amen. I've been in a lot of buildings. I, I, was, uh, I was in a hotel in East Tennessee on a Friday morning, and I was, I, I was sitting there, and I was drinking a cup of coffee, and I overheard a family sitting at the table, and there was an elderly gentleman, and he had a son that appeared to be about my age and a daughter-in-law that was there, and, uh, and they were having a conversation among themselves, that, but they were talking loud enough for me to hear, so if you're going to talk loud, don't get upset if people listen. So I was listening, and, uh, and, and they were talking about the fire alarm that went off in the middle of the night in the hotel, and the elderly gentleman said, Well, it was in my room. And his, his son, about my age, sort of smirked at him, thought he didn't know what he was talking about. He said, No, dad, it was in everybody's room, which was news to me because I slept through the whole thing. I had no idea it happened. He said, No, dad, that happened in my room. He said, No, he said, No, he said, no son, dad, that happened in every room. He said, No, son, that happened in my room. He said, Dad, trust me, it was in everybody's room. We heard it too. He said, No, they beat on my door and they came in my room and they said it was coming. From my room and they fixed a wire on the fire alarm in his room he said I didn't get any more sleep the rest of the night and I wanted to say too bad for you I slept through it all I'm glad though that I heard the alarm when somebody told me I had to be born again I'm trying to wake somebody up today to your need of the Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus name and the power of God Don't you sleep through this service and don't you sleep through the alarm that God is trying to send to your soul today. There's a wake-up call in this place for somebody. God loves you too much. God loves you too much to let you die lost. Amen. I'm thankful that God dwells in this church today. I can feel his presence. The Holy Ghost is Christ in us. The hope of glory in the Old Testament They didn't have the Holy Ghost like you and I do. They didn't have it manifested like we do in the church today. In those days, God dwelled in tabernacles and temples. God chose to have Moses build a tabernacle for the people to worship him. It was called the tabernacle in the wilderness, and it's where God met his people. From the early days of the portable tent in the Exodus from Egypt to the splendor of Solomon's temple, God's presence has mightily filled the houses that man has built for him. Throughout the generations, God's house was referred to in the scripture by differing terminology that represented what that house, what that church was to both God and to the people. Moses called it a tabernacle. Another place, he called it the tent of meeting. It was where we meet God. It was called the holy place because the holy God inhabited the holy house. It was referred to as a sanctuary, a safe place, a place of refuge. It was the house of God, the house of worship, and the house of prayer. And I submit that this should still be a house of worship, and it still should be a house of prayer. Amen. It was called the temple of the Lord. It was called the temple of God. It was called God's holy mountain because the church should never descend to the depth that the world does. The church should always live higher than the world is. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It was called a dwelling place for the Lord. All of these names and titles represent and indicate the reverence by which the house of God was held by the heart of the people, but also by the God of the house. It was a holy, powerful, sacred, sanctified, anointed place where God met his people and they worshiped their God. In the scripture, the, God, the people of Israel are known or called as God's chosen people. They are referred to as the apple, Of God's eye it was upon them and upon the seed of Abraham Isaac and Jacob that God placed his promise and his word God said God said I'll bless everyone that blesses you and I'll curse everyone that curses you and when God says something God means what he says And from that time till now, God has always blessed his people. And God continues to bless the people who are called by his name. God has blessed his people. God has provided for his people. God has defended his people and healed his people. Whether it was plagues on Egypt or a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, an outpouring of the Spirit, In our day, God has always poured his blessings on his people. He always made a way when it looked like there was no way. Giants, lions' dens, fiery furnaces never stopped the blessings of God. Egyptians and Philistines and Amalekites and Moabites could never extinguish the goodness of God. To his people, Pharaoh and Dagon, Sennacherib and Nebuchadnezzar, none have been able to stop what God has wanted to do for his people. God is faithful to his people. God has always been with his people. But for some reason, man has always tended to wander away from God. While God has never left us, we often leave God. Are you with me this morning? The Bible calls it backsliding. Don't get offended by the terminology, but the prophet of God said that the people went a-whoring. Another prophet said they committed whoredom. The book of Judges said, now notice what Judges said. They did evil. Everybody say they did it. They They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And another place it said they did not that which was right. In the sight of the lord in one passage what they did was evil in the other passage what they left out made them evil let me tell you you don't have to go out and shoot up dope and rob people and be a criminal to be wrong sometimes it's not what you do that makes it evil it's what you don't do it's like when we're having a worship service and you decide not to worship when we're having an altar service and you decide not to pray, when we're having church and you decide not to show up, it's sometimes what you don't do that makes you evil, not what you do. If that, look, I'd praise him right now, that's what I'd do, because I don't want to just do evil, but I want to make sure that I do everything that he wants me to do. Somebody ought to pray right now. Somebody ought to repent right now. Somebody ought to talk to God right now. Amen. Man has tended to walk away from God. Actions, my brothers and sisters, have consequences. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sin brings judgment. It's a foundational, fundamental truth of the scripture that starts in the Garden of Eden and wanders its way throughout the patriarchs and the Psalms and the prophets into the epistles and gospels. And all the way till now, sin brings judgment. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. I'll tell you this morning that sin is a destroyer, sin is a killer. Sin will bind the heart and blind the eye and take away the heart of the man to worship God. And so it is that sin always brings judgment. Part of the judgment on Israel, when they went backsliding, was that God raised up a nation called Babylon. And the purpose of Babylon was to break Israel till they would repent and turn back to God. And so Babylon's army comes And in a short order, they defeat Israel and grandparents and parents watched as their young men and maidens were carried captive, chained together to walk to Babylon to be assimilated into the wicked culture of this pagan kingdom. The bitter day that they harvested the fruit of their backsliding as they saw their children marched off into slavery in a pagan kingdom. The aged men of Jerusalem sat as tears rolled down their cheeks while they watched Babylonian soldiers carry vessels out of the temple and load them up on wagons to be taken to Babylon to be used under the temple of a false god. The menorah, the tables, the altar of incense, the vessels intended to be used to worship the Lord were now taken to the temple and the palace of Babylon, vessels created specifically and only for the worship of God. They were fashioned by skilled artisans and artists anointed for use in the temple. It was forbidden for them to ever be used for anything else. These vessels were for God and God's house alone. They are not to be used in the trivial, the mundane, the average, or the ordinary. They are not to be used in mom and dad's house or used for anything else. But now these vessels, fashioned only for the kingdom of God, only for the house of God, now have Babylonian fingerprints on them as they're being marched to a pagan kingdom. And in Daniel chapter number 5, we get the rest of the story of these vessels from the house of God. Daniel 5 and 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. They're having a great victory party in Babylon. Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, he is throwing a party for a thousand of his princes, a thousand of his lords as they've come to celebrate their great victory over Israel and the God of Israel. The king invites his royal court and the Bible said that he made a great feast and drank wine. He's drinking wine out of Babylonian cups. He's drinking wine out of Babylonian vessels. But in verse number two, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine. Commanded to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was at Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Let me just point out something, that in verse number one, it was only Belshazzar, the Bible said, that drank wine. But by verse number two, his wives and his children are locked in the same sin that he's locked in. You better be careful what you allow into your life, because it almost never stays with you. It almost always spreads to your wife, to your children, to your family. And maybe you want to be carnal, but you better make sure those babies have enough Holy Ghost to make it in this world. Sin usually spreads through a family. Come on, daddies, you better be a worshiper. Come on, mama, you better be a prayer warrior. Come on, moms and dads, you better be faithful to the house of God. Because what you do will spread to your children. It wasn't enough for the king to drink wine and party with his friends, but he wanted his whole family involved in it. And that's usually how sin is. People are not usually content to sin by themselves. They wanna make a show out of it. They want somebody else to participate in their wickedness and their evil. Sin always takes you further than you wanna go. I've said it often, I'll say it again. You get to decide when your sin starts, but you don't get to decide where it stops. I've watched people leave the house of God for a myriad of issues, it could be anything. And I've watched people walk out Whether it was something that they got offended at somebody, or they didn't want to live holy, or they didn't want to do this or do that. And they get out of there, and they decided that they were moving away from the church, but they didn't get to finalize the end of the story. When I walk in a hospital and they're dying from cancer, from the stuff that they put in their body when they walked away from God, they got to decide where it started, but they didn't get to decide where it ended. You better be careful the things that you take up in your life because you can decide to start it, but you might not get to decide where it stops. (laughs) The king, the king, he commanded. Now, everybody say he drank wine. Out of Babylonian vessels. But now in verse number two, he's commanding them, bring me the vessels from the house of God in Jerusalem. I'm not satisfied with my Babylonian vessels. I'm not happy just drinking out of my Babylonian vessels. Bring me God's vessels. I want to drink out of them for a little while. Let me tell you, the kingdom of Babylon, the city of Babylon, was full of vessels that the king could have used to continue his party. But there was something in the heart of this wicked man. He wasn't satisfied with just having Babylonian vessels. He wanted God's vessels too. It wasn't enough to satisfy him with what was made in Babylon. He wanted what was made in Jerusalem for the house of God the enemy was not satisfied with the Babylonian vessels being full of Babylonian wine. He wanted God's vessels to be full of Babylonian wine as well. May I tell you, you know as well as I do, that the world is full of millions and billions of people who are worshiping idols and carnal and sinful and worldly. Amen. Stadiums all across the country yesterday were full of drunks who were reveling in their sin, false doctrine, and perversion. Bar rooms were full and overflowing last night all across the land with people cheating on their wives or husbands, people trying to get the way, to find find a way to get sin. The devil has bar rooms. He has people all over from coast to coast and all around the world bowing down and drinking his Babylonian wine, but he's not satisfied with the drug addict out there. He's not satisfied with the alcoholic out there. i am come to tell you, he wants you and your children. He wants the vessels from the house of God. He wants your family out there. Do- he's not satisfied with what he's already got. The God of this world Satan has decided that it bothers him. Look, it it, it bothers him that you rolled out of bed this morning and made your way to the house of God. It bothers him that you've come to worship God. He's not satisfied with all the millions that are hung over this morning that lived like the devil last night. No, no, he wants God's vessels. He wants you full of sin. He wants you full of backsliding. He wants you out of the house of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, you were not created to be a sinner. I'm telling everyone that's in this building right now and everyone that's watching online and everyone that will watch or listen by some kind of electronic media in the future God did not create you to be a sinner. You were not created to be a sinner. You were created to be a vessel in the house of God. You may be far from your creative purpose. You may have all kinds of stuff in your life that makes you wonder if you have a purpose or not. I'm telling you that God has a purpose for you. You were not created to be a sinner. You were created to be a vessel in the house of God. You're created to raise your family in the church. You're created to be a worshiper. You're created to be a prayer warrior. You're created to work in the kingdom of God. You were not made for the bar room, the crack house. You were not made for the whorehouse. You were not made for sin. You were made for God. You were made for the presence of God. You were designed for worship. But the devil wants to put his wine inside of you. He wants you intoxicated by sin, by perversion, by worldliness. Can I preach to you just a few more minutes? I'm going to try to go into another gear because i got some stuff I need to say. And I'm trying my best to get to it. Revelation 14 and 8 describes to us, about the end-time so-called Christian church, the, the, the apostle John in the book of Revelation. Here's what he, he called it, Babylon. He likened the end-time church, not the apostolic church, but the end-time so-called Christian church. He likened it to Babylon. And here's what he said, Babylon is fallen, the great city, which made all nations to drink of the wine, of the wrath of her fornication, In Revelation, Babylon represents fallen and apostate Christianity. It's the portion of the so-called church that preaches false doctrine and embraces carnality and worldliness and sinfulness. The Bible describes this backslidden church system as a woman arrayed in purple and scarlet. Purple was the color of royalty. It often represented societal and political power. Scarlet was often associated with promiscuity and perversion. And so he said this end time church is prostituting herself out to the culture for influence and power at the expense of preaching the truth. Amen. You got a little quiet on me there. The Bible says that this particular, this this Babylon was decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now listen, I need you to pay very close attention to what I'm getting ready to say because you need to understand, you need to understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Because in our modern culture, few consider jewelry as associated with prostitution. And I'm not saying that people that wear jewelry are, All right. But what I am saying is in the Bible, almost every time that jewelry was mentioned, it was associated with idolatry or prostitution. I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. They would often wear jewelry that identified what idol or God they worshiped. It began in Egypt when they put on the gold that would glisten in the sun. And that gold was intended to show that they were worshiping their sun god, Ra. And it was a form of worship for them to wear it. And so this is, in this passage of scripture, it's a biblical image that this apostate backslidden church had prostituted herself out to a generation of sin. You with me? I'm talking about the Bible types and shadows. All of these biblical images represent a perverted, promiscuous, backslidden church that had prostituted herself out for political, societal influence rather than preaching holiness and righteousness and godliness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So finally, finally, the Bible described this end-time backslidden church as having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. The Bible said that she made the nations to drink the wine of her wrath. Babylon's wine got in the church. Praise God. Babylon's wine got in the church. The enemy still wants Babylon's wine in the church. It wants your heart filled with the wine of Babylon. It wants your kids filled with the wine of Babylon. It wants your kids to know more worldly songs than they know church songs, and more lyrics to junk than they do. More movie quotes than they know Bible verses. I'm telling you, The devil wants Babylon's wine in your family, in your mind, in your heart. It wants your mind on sin all the time. Satan wants you drunk on Babylon's wine. Praise the Lord. have you on your phone looking at porn than reading a Bible verse on your phone. We'd rather have you flirting with the lady at the store rather than praying that God help your mind and heart to be pure and clean. Do we still have stomach for this kind of preaching? Or are we so drunk on Babylon's wine that we can't handle it anymore? I'm telling you, the devil wants you full of Babylon's wine. He wants you offended by holiness preaching. He wants you offended by be be preaching faithfulness and godliness and righteousness. Don't drink Babylon's wine. He'd rather have you at a rodeo than at church when you're supposed to be at the house of God. He'd rather have you at a ball game or a practice or a tournament than in the house of God. But you belong here, not in the world. You were not made for Babylon. You were made for the house of God. You don't want me to preach it, but I'm going to preach it anyway. we got to get the world out of our hearts. Don't drink Babylon's wine. It's 1108. Don't worry. You'll get your spaghetti. When somebody ingests alcohol, wine, for instance, the natural, in the natural sense, the alcohol gets in your bloodstream and begins to permeate and penetrate the blood of the person that drinks it. And that tainted blood with the alcohol in it begins to flow through your body and it dissipates the alcohol throughout your entire body. That's why somebody that drinks alcohol and puts it into their stomach, it begins to dissipate through their body and it gets into the muscles in their, in their legs and they, they stumble around because it's not, it's not that you have a muscle problem. The problem is that you've got tainted blood that is now in your legs and that tainted blood has affected your ability. That tainted blood has gotten into your mind and so your brain is not operating like God designed it to operate. That tainted blood has gotten into your heart and your heart, with that tainted, with that alcohol in your blood, it doesn't function and flow like it's supposed to. You still with me today? Amen. Yeah. Hey, that tainted blood, show, when, when somebody is, is drunk, when somebody's been drinking, that tainted blood, it begins to lead. It goes throughout the body, and it leads to slowed reflexes. You don't react to things as quick as you used to. It reduces coordination. You don't walk clearly. Impaired thinking. You don't think right. Poor judgment, you make bad decisions. It leads to depression. Your joy is taken away, your peace is taken away. An impaired memory, you have trouble remembering things and it decreases your body's ability to function like God created it to function. And when Babylon's wine of sin and carnality and worldliness gets into the heart of a Christian, it'll have effects on you. It'll corrupt the flow of blood in your soul. Babylon's wine will cause you to have slow reflexes, things you would have instantly got out of your life before you had Babylon's wine. Now you let it linger. Things you never would have put up with a while ago because Babylon's wine is in your spirit. Now you're doing it. You never would have missed church when you were full of the Holy Ghost. But now that you're full of Babylon's wine, any excuse will do. You don't want me to preach like this, but we need pulpits that'll still preach. You don't want a pansy preacher. You don't want a soft pastor. You want somebody that says, tell me what I gotta do. You gotta get Babylon's wine out of your heart. When you'd rather hunt than worship, you got Babylon's wine in you. When you'd rather fish than worship, you got Babylon's wine in you. When you'd rather go to the rodeo, the ball game, than come to the house of God, you got Babylon's wine in you. When you'd rather gossip than pray, you got Babylon's wine in you. Your reflexes are slowed. You don't react like you normally do things that you would have instantly got out of your mind or heart. Now you dwell on it and think about it. Your spiritual coordination is reduced. You can't walk like with God, like you used to walk. You find yourself stumbling over little things that used to not make you stumble. You, you, you used to be able to walk and just step over stuff because you had the right coordination. But when you're full of Babylon's wine, anything can trip you up. A friend that tries to get you to do something that you never would have. When you're full of Babylon's wine, that friend can talk you out of all kinds of godliness. Because it's Babylon's wine. You, you lost your coordination. When Babylon's wine gets in your spirit, you have impaired thinking and poor judgment. Things that you used to not have to think twice about. Like the Hebrew children said, we're not careful to answer you. I only have to think about it. I'm not bound to your idol. But now, when temptation comes and you're full of Babylon's wine, you gotta stop and think about it. Now I wonder if I can do that and just ask forgiveness later. Hmm. I wonder, hey, I know what I can do. I can just go ahead and do that, and then I can just come back and say, God forgive me, and I won't even worry about it. That's that's impaired judgment, my friend. You gotta stay away, you gotta run from all appearance of evil. It's Babylon's wine in your spirit. I'm trying to help somebody today. If you've got friends that say, hey, don't go to church tonight, go with me to do this, you need to get that friend out of your life. That friend's gonna take your soul to hell. It's Babylon's wine. It's Babylon's wine. Babylon's wine leads to spiritual depression. You lose your joy, you lose your peace. People that know what it means to really live for God make terrible sinners. You know too much to be happy in sin and you're too convicted to be at peace in church. Praise God. The whole time they're on the bar stool, they think I ought to be in church. And the whole time they're in church, they think I'm a hypocrite, I shouldn't be here. You don't listen to the voice of the devil. You're right where you need to be, but you need to repent and get Babylon's wine. Somebody needs to sober up today. Somebody needs a sobering moment in the presence of God. Somebody needs to sober up and say, I'm tired of Babylon's wine trying to drag me out from where I'm supposed to be. Babylon's wine destroys your joy and your peace. Babylon's wine impairs your memory. You forget what the Lord has done. You forget what God brought you out of. You forget the mess your life was in when you were strung out, when you were drunk, when you didn't have anything. You forget what it was like when the devil had crushed your life and then God reached down and picked you up and put your life back together. But when Babylon's wine gets in your spirit, you forget how he delivered you and filled you with the Holy Ghost. You forget You forget how God put your life back together again. You begin to think the world sounds better than the church. It's because your memory is messed up. You've got Babylon's wine in your system. I need to preach a minute or two more, but I'm not going to be much longer. Verse five, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall, the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote, God made it clear, I'm not happy with what's going on. And so God begins to write on the wall. When you hear the fre- the common phrase, the handwriting on the wall, it's actually a reference to something in the Bible. When you see the handwriting on the wall, it means it's time to stop. Let me tell you, this sermon for somebody today is the handwriting on the wall. God may not long suffer. This might be your last opportunity to repent and get right. This might be your wake-up call, your alarm, your sobering moment where God says, get it right, sir, get it right, ma'am. Quit dabbling in the world. Quit dabbling with sin. Make up your mind if you're going to serve me or not. Get Babylon's wine out of your." vessel. Look at verse 6. Then the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him. His conscience begins to bother him. Now he's got a choice. I can either get more drunk so I don't feel conviction anymore, or I can listen to what God's trying to tell me. And listen, when you get to that moment where you got a choice to make, I can either drown out the voice of conviction. I'm gonna quit listening to this preacher. I'm gonna balance my checkbook. I'm gonna text somebody. I'm gonna check what's going on. I'm gonna check the the, the the I'm gonna check the news on my phone. I'm gonna do whatever I can to quit listening to that preacher because now I've got to the point where my thoughts are troubling me. So I either need to silence the preacher by getting more drunk on Babylon, or I'm gonna have to repent. Let me tell you, it's time to repent. It's time to say, God, help me to serve you with everything I've got. Don't drown out the voice of this preacher. Don't drown out the voice of conviction. Don't drown out the handwriting on the wall. The Bible said his his thoughts troubled him so the joints of his loins were loosed. see, how can I say this in a nice way? His stomach got so upset he couldn't control his bodily functions. He made a mess out of himself. And let me tell you, when you start letting Babylon's wine into your system, you start making a mess out of yourself. I was on a flight one time from London to Bahrain. And while I was on that flight, a guy sat next to me and he smelled so bad. I mean, he smelled, he smelled like 10,000 years of goat farm. I fell asleep and woke up, and his head was on my shoulder. I'm like, he wakes up. He, he don't speak English, so he's motioning me that he's sorry. I'm like, I wake up a little bit later, his head's back on my shoulder again. I give him about three Walmart sleeping pills. I wake up later and he's on the floor. Out, cold. As soon as the plane stopped, I was off there before I got in trouble for drugging an ARAB. <laughs> but see, here was the problem. Here was the problem. The problem was, well, let, let me just say this. When, when you get around somebody that has stunk so long that they can't smell themselves anymore then they think everything's okay, but everybody around them knows how bad they stink. Here's the problem with sin. If you're staying in it long enough, you'll get so used to the smell that you won't even realize that you've made a mess out of yourself. But everybody around can see the mess you made of yourself. Is, is, that, is, is that sanctified enough? You understand what I'm talking about? I'm telling you, you don't want to be so long stuck in backsliding that you don't even realize you're backslid anymore. And your mind tells you everything's okay. I'm all right. I still love Jesus. But you don't pray. You don't worship. You don't live holy. You don't give. You don't come to church. You don't win a soul. You don't serve in the choir. You don't serve in Sunday school. You don't do anything. You don't even realize you stink. the joints of his loins were loosed. Look, if you're here and you're not living right and you don't think I'm preaching to you, the joints of your loins are loosed and you don't realize it, that baby's not hurting nothing. And his knees smote one against another. Knees knocking together. I'm gonna skip a couple of verses. I'm gonna go down to verse 23. Here's what the Lord said You lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. They brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of. Now, wait a second. What do you think? What do you mean by that? I was just drinking Babylon's wine. I didn't realize I was praising the gods of Babylon when I drank Babylon's wine. I thought all I was doing was getting drunk on Babylon's wine. I didn't realize that it was actually a worship service. See, the bar room is not a bar room. The bar room is a worship service for the devil. The crack house isn't a crack house. It's a worship service for the devil. The whorehouse isn't a whorehouse. It's a worship service for the devil. Everything you do is an act of worship. You're either worshiping God, you're worshiping self, or you're worshiping the devil. But everything you do is an act of worship in one way or another. If that's the truth, then God, I want to be found worshiping you with my life. Paul said to the Romans, Know ye not that whoever you yield yourself servants to obey his servants ye are. In other words, whatever you do, that's who you're serving. Daniel 5 25, and the, this is the handwriting. This is the right Look, come back tonight. If you're a guest and you think this is too hard, come back tonight. We have a guest preacher. He'll be sweet. If he don't, I'll cut his pay. This is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. God's scales are out today. When you're full of Babylon's wine, it tips the scales against your favor. God is weighing our actions, our lives, our faithfulness, our heart. Don't drink Babylon's wine. Don't drink Babylon's wine. If the devil's gonna have people drinking Babylon's wine, let it be a Babylonian. Don't let it be somebody that's been in the presence of God and heard his word and felt his power and had an opportunity to get right. Don't let the devil make you into a vessel full of Babylon's wine. As your eyes are closed all over this place, if you're comfortable lifting your hands, do so. If you're not, just bow your head and close your eyes talk to the Lord for a moment. God, I pray you have your way here. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be drunk on Babylon's wine. I don't want to become so assimilated into my culture that I lose my apostolicity. God, I want my heart to be right. I want my spirit to be right. I want my soul to be right. Come on, the altar's open. Some have already come. Some have been up here. Some are coming now. It's time to pray. Don't mess around with Babylon's wine. I'm not preaching hard to be mean. I'm preaching hard because if I don't shock somebody out of where they're at, they're going to keep going down that road. And I've got people in this room that know better than how they're living. And so I'm trying to shock them and push them. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be crude, rude, offensive. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm just trying to get somebody's attention and push them out of a place of complacency and push them towards a real change trying to pull the curtain back so somebody can see the the plan of Babylon the plan of the world and what he's trying to do can you pray one for another my brothers and sisters can you call on God this whole building ought to be an altar from the front to the back in every pew everywhere in this building ought to be somebody crying out saying God I don't necessarily know everything I need to do but I know I need something Holy Ghost would you move here Spirit of the Lord would you move here Power of God, would you move here? God, I don't want to drink Babylon's wine. Don't let me be drunk with the wine of this in time, wicked, sinful world. And don't let me be fooled by carnal, worldly Christianity. Oh, that's right, all over this place. Why don't you pray with somebody close to you? Holy Ghost, move through these pews. Move through the aisles and the altars of the church today. Move, God, through this place. Let the Holy Ghost, let the holy power of God move in this place, Lord. Let there be repenting happening in the pew and in the altars and in the aisles. God, I need you. God, forgive me for being drunk on Babylon's wine. in Jesus' name and have every sin washed away this morning. If you're sitting close to somebody that's never been baptized, why don't you have a conversation with them and say, today needs to be your day, this needs to be your moment. talking about eternity, heaven and hell. We're not talking about play things today. We're not talking about insignificant things. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about forever. We're talking about heaven. We're talking
1: about hell.
2: What a word we've heard from the man of God. Listen to me, if you will. What a word. This word is not to be just taken lightly, put it up on a shelf somewhere, not heat it. This word is to be received. I wonder if you have made as an individual, any effort today to show God that you really want to be saved. Yes, you came to his house, and that is some effort. But wouldn't it be wonderful if God just knew that you would take just a little special effort and say, God, I really want to be saved. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Listen You know, when when you approach someone, you're asking them to make some kind of move or show some kind of reception to what you're saying, you especially, you're looking for a nod or you're looking for a smile. You're looking for something that you say, I hear you. Do you really feel like today that you've told God, "I hear what you're saying"? I tell you what I want you to do. There's something deep about this message. It's not just another, not just another word today. There's something deep about this message. But if you really want to be saved, if you want to stay out of hell, I want you to at least make two or three steps forward. Wave your hand do something. Don't just sit there and go to hell from this service. Don't just sit there and go to hell from this service. At least make some kind of effort. Say, God, I really do care. I really do care about my soul. I really do mean that I want to be saved. I want to be that vessel that's drinking Babylon's wine. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. At least show him God. I want to show God I want to be saved. Help me Jesus, help me Jesus, help me Jesus that's a start today at least that's a start at least that's a start keep moving forward keep coming to church keep worshiping do more than you've ever done Let's thank the Lord for what we received here today. Let's thank the Lord all over the house. may be seated for a moment. We have a presentation coming shortly here. Just Just a moment or so from the Children's Church Department. Keep praying as long as they like. long as they like. Brother Barnes, come and give your
1: presentation.
3: It's gonna take a few minutes. Um, we uh, joined classes for the last several weeks uh, sister Tori and uh, sister Alex and myself we have the seven to twelve year olds and we tried to do an event um tried to do it around the Olympics but of course COVID kind of Mess that up and put us behind schedule. But um, we did an event. We did the uh, Bethlehem Christian Olympics. And we've had every week, we've had topics for the kids study. have studied, have Bible verses, things like that. And then we had, like, actually athletic competitions. And the main focus of this, we wanted them to learn the biblical principles of this. And um, well, we tied this to um, being an athlete, running the Christian race. And uh, just this morning, we got just a small demonstration of some things they've learned and uh we will finish up with um we're gonna give out our grand prize winners today for medals um we're very proud of the kids they all worked hard everyone has medaled in an event and they're represented with those medals today um but one of the things we did with the uh, olympics the five rings and colors we tied that to something biblical for the kids and they're going to share with you what each color of the ring meant and how that tied to our lessons
1: Clean yourself. Blue stands for baptism. Red red stands for the blood of Jesus. Black stands for sins. Yellow stands for the streets of gold.
3: All right, and today we wrapped up with our last uh, principle was to... um, help faith, um, to carry our faith in our Christian walk with God. And we learned an acronym for faith, and we're going to let them do that now. So ELF, what does ELF stand for, kids? You yes, say that loud. Fortress, right? Okay. A. I. T. And H. Hiding place, right. Okay, so at this time, we are going to give out our awards. I don't want to take much of your time. Um, first of all, um, our missions champ, for, uh, and one of the things we did, um, we tied them to a country, and we picked an ALJC missionary, and these kids focused on that missionary when they were competing for that country, and they prayed, and um, we got letters to send to them and took an offering that uh, we're going to give to missions. And our missions champ was Cole. <laughs> he gets a gold medal for that. All right. Okay, our Bible memorization champ was Elijah. Elijah. (laughs) All right, and we tallied up points from all um, the Bible activities and the athletic events. And we had some ties um, for bronze, silver, and gold. So we had a three-way tie for third-place bronze medals. We've got Tristan for a bronze medal. Third-place bronze medal, Elijah. And our last third place winner was Brody. All right, we had a two way tie for second place. Um, Okay, Molly is not here today. Um, Molly got second place, so we'll give her um, her award when she gets back, okay? All right, second place. Layden, silver medal. All right, and we had a two-way tie for first place gold medal for the overall champs. We have Cole, gold medalist. And our last gold medalist was Landon. All right, we're really proud of everyone. Um, Like I said, everyone medaled. We did our individual medals in class today, so you see those on the students, and uh, good job.
2: Give our children's church directors and children a good hand. Amen, amen, amen.